You're listening to episode 72 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. I'm Tara. He's Alex. This week joined by JJ Bailey to talk about baseball being played in a bubble. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. It is another week of quarantine, another week of isolation. We might be another week a little bit gone as far as our sanity. We'll find out. But I am Tara, along with Alex again this week, and we have brought along yet another special guest. We're going to continue this trend as long as we can, since there's not a lot of baseball to talk about. JJ Bailey is hanging out with us on this episode. And before we get too far ahead of ourselves, JJ, I always ask Alex, how are we doing? Give us a status report on the whole pandemic situation in your life. So how are things with you? Uh, Terrific. Uh, Every day is the exact same. There are now three (laughs) days to every week. There is today, tomorrow, and yesterday. And that's pretty (laughs) much it. Um, I am still going to work. Um, I have now been put in charge of our, our, our numbers tracking. So that's my uh, solemn and very sad duty is to, to track the cases and everything that's going on in Missouri. Um, but I can say that I go to work and I see the exact same six people every day. Uh, newsroom used to have about 25 people in it. Now I see about six. And my schedule is pretty much the same every day based on press conferences and press releases. Um, so honestly, you could tell me it's September and I would believe you because I have no idea. It was 80 today in Missouri. And so I honestly couldn't tell you what part of the year we're in. That sounds pretty familiar on some <laughs> level, I think, for everybody right now. I think the the very terrible joke at this point that isn't even a joke anymore is that all days are the same. So there's no there's no difference in anything at this point. Alex, I know last week we were talking about the fact that you could use a little alone time. But uh, I don't know how you fared with that this week. Did you did you manage to recharge at all? You know, I, I'm exactly where I was last week. I think what JJ said sums it up. Every day is kind of the same. And you just want to get through that day so you can then experience the exact same thing tomorrow. <laughs> because it's one more day closer to this indefinite end goal that no one can tell us what it is. Right. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty much uh, you're just going through an endless series of Tuesdays and then somewhere later in the summer, you hope that the weekend might show up. Yeah, and it's it's definitely, you know, like everybody has a favorite day of the week. This is not that day over and over again. It's very much everyone's least favorite day. Let me ask you this. Do you like it better when the weather is nice or when the weather is not nice? Because it's kind of cruel when it's a beautiful day outside. And sure, you can still go outside and maybe even go for a run or do something. But your options are (laughs) severely limited in terms of things you would like to do when there's nice weather. At least if it's like raining or pouring, you can be like, well, you know, I wasn't going to be outside anyway. I think you're I think I think you hit it on the head where it's like, um, would you rather give up a day of school in January or would you rather have to make that day up in June at the end of the school year where you're just like, no, no, no. Like I'd rather go to school when it's 20 degrees out and snowy and garbage. Like I'd rather just use that day up than have to give up a June day. Like that's kind of what this is, is I honestly, I wish it was raining every day because then at least I wouldn't feel like I'm missing out on something. 
I, I totally get that. Although I have a dog that I have to take out every day, multiple times a day. Oh, yeah. So I much prefer it when it's nice out and I can actually enjoy that walk <laughs> instead of just trying to hurry him along a bit so that we can get back inside and out of the rain. Like today it was, it was absolutely gorgeous outside. Uh, you know, until the hailstorm at the exact time we were supposed to start recording this show. Um, but we went for a nice long walk, sat in the shade for a little bit. And, you know, the only thing there is that then you're a little wary of the fact that other people are also out and you're trying to make sure that you avoid them as much as possible. So there's some some weirdness with that, too. But yeah, in that one way, I think I prefer the nicer days. But it's it's definitely a little more noticeable when... Yeah, you you have nothing, nowhere, nowhere to go except that walk afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I, I do appreciate a good 70 degree day when you can go outside, but I'm also like, oh, this would have been really <laughs> great if we could have gone to a playground right. or like, if we could have gone to the zoo or something. Instead, I get to stand outside of my building and I have my smoke break. And that's the big, exciting uh, yard time that I get. <laughs> well, as a result of all of that indoor time, Alex and I have been learning a lot about ourselves <laughs> in quarantine, finding new <laughs> things, uh, learning bits of trivia here and there. It started with sea salt and has progressed from there. So, Alex, I will start with you. And then JJ, if you want to join in on the fun and <laughs> share something we've learned in quarantine, um, go right ahead. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm going to keep this short. And it's kind of in the same, uh, kind of related to the thing I said about sea salt a couple of weeks ago uh, with regard to tortilla chips. And that's, I noticed this week that I threw out two jars of salsa um, because salsa... <laughs> You've probably noticed this. After a while in the fridge, kind of just becomes really acidic and doesn't it doesn't taste very good anymore. And uh, you know, I think that's a problem because one, I don't like to throw food away. And I noticed the the last jar was fifteen point five ounces. Um, I think that's too big. I think salsa needs to start coming in like six packs of much smaller servings. Uh, granted, that would probably be okay. more expensive. But I think it would uh, be less wasteful and we would get more use out of it. Kind of like, you know, how pop soft drink companies started started selling those smaller versions. And right. they're probably yeah. more expensive per fluid ounce or whatever. But I prefer that because I never need, I don't drink pop that often anyway, but I never need more than seven ounces or whatever it is. Like to me, that's the perfect amount of, of pop or soda or whatever you ca call it. I think salsa needs to do the same thing. I think they need to have smaller jars and then I can stop throwing throwing it away. What do you think, Tara? Have you ever thought about this? I think that I was just <laughs> just dealing with some salsa today that I was like, you know, and the thing is, here's what happened to me. I ran out of chips, but there's still salsa. By the time I remember to get chips again, <laughs> The salsa is not going to be good anymore. So uh, I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think we're you know the sea salt on the chips and the smaller jars of salsa. We're going to change the entire chips and salsa industry. You're welcome, everyone. Hundred <laughs> percent. It makes it makes it it's too much. It's it's the same thing that like you can buy a six pack of hot dogs, but buns come in packs of eight. Yeah, it's that same yeah. it's yeah. that same yeah. conundrum. Who did that? Yeah, it's that same conundrum. I agree with you. I, I think it's brilliant. Right, good, good. Um, I don't know if I can compete with that with my random thing, but uh, 
I'll I'll see what happens. JJ, you go first. Oh, okay. So I have two. Would you guys like to learn about uh, what a bunch of uh, buttholes squirrels can be, or would you like to learn about Matthew Robinson? I've learned both in the last week. I- I'm I'm up for hearing about both. Yeah, I think I think you, you set them up so brilliantly. We need to hear about both. Okay, so uh, here's the fun thing I learned about squirrels. I did not know that until I lived in Missouri. Um, so a thing that squirrels will do is they will get into your car and they will chew through the starter cables because the um, like the rubber around the starter cables apparently is really good for their nests. Um, and what that does is your car won't start. And hmm. twice in three weeks, um, squirrels have gotten into my car and chewed through the starter cables and I've had so the first time I had to get a AAA membership so I could get a tow to the mechanic a mile and a half down the road, and they fixed it and they're like, "Yeah, squirrels got in there. It was crazy. That's you know, it's odd. It happens, uh, but you know, tough break." Okay, so then like three and a half weeks later, guess what happens? Car won't start. I'm trying to go to work. I'm like, "What in the world?" So I called AAA and I'm like. Hey, need a tow. They showed up. I'm a member now, so that's great. Uh, took it to the place, and I was like, look, I, I don't know what's going on. It's it, The whole car is shaking when I try and start it. I don't know what it means. My car is very old. It's a 2009 Honda Civic. I'm like, it's probably bad. And they called me back in like an hour and a half, and they're like, yep, squirrels got in there again. So what I learned is that squirrels can declare a fatwa <laughs> on your car. And apparently, will just savage the inside of your engine. <laughs> I didn't know that, but they've done it twice now, and they have cost me upwards of like nine hundred dollars just to fix my car because they wanted whatever my starter cables are wrapped in. And then they were like, "Well, here's what you do: you take pantyhose. You guys remember the 1950s? You take pantyhose and you stuff mothballs in them. You guys remember the 1950s? And you, you put them on the inside of your engine block, and that will scare them away. And I'm like, right, but." As a 33-year-old man, I'm not going to go out and buy mothballs and pantyhose because I don't want to be on a watch list. So, like, I was like, how do I keep squirrels away from my car? And they're like, oh, well, you can hook a radio up and just, like, play a radio. And I'm like, well, that sounds even more complicated. And then they're like, well, just don't park it next to a tree. And I was like, lead with that, please. (laughs) Because the rest of your options were insane to me. So why would you not lead with just yeah, maybe don't park next to where they live? Sure, it seems like like just if, if you're parking next to a tree, don't park it there. And I was like, oh, okay. I, my whole life, I've been parking next to trees. Didn't know that squirrels could get in there and sabotage my engine. <laughs> it would have been super nice to have gotten that information up front because I was halfway to Target, looking like, well, I guess I got to buy pantyhose and mothballs and pretend that no one's gonna look at me weird. I, I didn't know squirrels that could could do that either. I'm curious, could the the mechanics immediately diagnose that's what it was? Like, like they know exactly what it looks like when a squirrel, like, like they can see like their bite marks or what? So their term is critters. They're like critters oh, got in there. Sure. 
And I was like, okay, well, there's like two types of critters that exist out here in St. Louis County. Mm-hmm. It's squirrels and chipmunks. So it's one of the two. Yeah. They're both furry little monsters. So whatever. But yeah, they were like critters got in there. And then when I texted them, I was like, hey, what's going on? You know, the second time they're like, yeah, critters got in there again. And I was like, oh, if we could just figure out which critters, <laughs> because <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to round up a bunch of stray cats pretty soon. And I am just going to loose them on the neighborhood to like cull the squirrel and chipmunk population because this is costing me an insane amount of money and I am very tired of it. I sympathize. And I also have a neighbor in my building who feeds the squirrels in our backyard. Probably like entire loaves of bread. Probably a mechanic. He knows. He knows how to. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, Well, that's a thing you know now. And uh, how about about the second thing? Oh, okay. Um, So Matthew Robinson, very, very briefly, just a just a thing that I found. Um, Do you guys know who Matthew Robinson was? It's okay if you don't. I did not. I I I did not either. I just assumed he was some like guy in the Cardinal system or something. No, no. So Matthew, Matthew Mac Robinson won the silver medal at the 1936 summer Olympics. And he broke the world record when he ran the 200 meter sprint. And it was a really big deal for about uh, half of a second because Jesse Owens also ran in that Olympics and Jesse Owens beat him by four tenths of a second. And so obviously Jesse Owens goes on to be one of the most celebrated athletes in American history. And Mac Robinson kind of fades into obscurity and he ends up, uh, you know, he, he went to the university of Oregon. He had a great lot, you know, had a great like early life, but he ended up fighting street crime in Pasadena. Nobody remembered him. And he ended up dying of like diabetes and just this, this like world-class sprinter just faded into obscurity. And I discovered it while reading about, it was when the Olympics were canceled. I started going back through famous Olympics and was trying to read about it and came across Mac Robinson and like, Oh my God, what an unfortunate time to be the world's second best sprinter. It gets worse because he lost to Jesse Owens by four tenths of a second. And I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe he's the older brother. He is a brother. I think he is the older brother of another famous Robinson named Jackie. Mm. So Matthew Robinson was born a couple years too early and arrived four tenths of a second too late. (laughs) And so... I just remember like feeling like I don't know what it means, but it does feel significant that, that we have this like incredible athlete uh, who just missed out on fame because he happened to race against Jesse Owens and could not later get fame because his younger brother was Jackie Robinson. And it's, I don't know. It doesn't, I don't know what it means in terms of quarantine, but that's the kind of stuff that you like focus on when you have nothing else to focus on that I'm like, God dang, this guy was the best athlete of his generation, save one person, and nobody knows about him. 
These are the things that happen to our brains when there's no live sports happening. Yeah, I, just... I really got into it. I was like, I, I, I feel like it's important that I write this down. And then I was like, I think the world knows about Jackie. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole Wikipedia page about Matthew Robinson. But I was in my head, I was like, I'm the first person to discover this. <laughs> no one knew about this until just this so moment. I'm, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now. And... If you can, make sense to me this sentence, because I think you said it in your opening. It says, he is best known for winning a silver medal in the 1936 Summer Olympics, where he broke the Olympic record in the 200 meter, but still finished behind Jesse Owens. So Jesse Owens broke the record. Not him, right? They They both broke it. So it was like a world record, and both of them broke it, but... Uh, Owens broke it by uh, four tenths of a second faster. Uh, okay, I he see. Broke the record, so they both but didn't set the new record. So okay, so they both broke the record, but he never actually got to have the record because Jesse right. Owens broke it too. And was, okay, yeah, okay, exactly. Now I understand. Okay. So imagine that. Imagine, imagine just <laughs> beating a world record, and then you got to enjoy that for like one second until they were like, Oh yeah, this other guy beat you in the race. So he also broke the record better than you and you get silver. Like, (laughs) Oh my God. So not, not only did you not win the Olympic gold medal, you also didn't break the record well enough. And then, and then like a few, few years later, they're like, your younger brother just became the symbol for racial integration in baseball. Uh, But good job on your running. (laughs) Like, Oh my God. Goodness. Yeah, that's that's um that's a brutal brutal story for that yeah, guy. So, so, I, I, yeah. So Tara, I feel like you got you you can definitely bring us back up because I've just talked about how <laughs> squirrels are definitely in bed with the mechanic industry, and I just <laughs> relate the yeah, and the pantyhose industry and the moth mothball industry. Oh man! And uh, yeah. and then I also relayed the story of Matthew Robinson, which is kind of a bummer. So, like, bring us back up. What did you discover? I have spent a lot of time on YouTube in the last week, and um, initially, I was looking for ways to. Uh, do home improvement projects because I'm stuck at home. And I discovered the most like visually satisfying kind of artwork that I've ever seen in my life. You should look it up. It is, you can look it up as uh, fluid art or acrylic pouring. And it is insane. (laughs) So basically I'm going to try to explain this and it's going to be horrible. You just need to go look it up. But you take a canvas, right, and cover it with whatever your base color is. A lot of them are white. And then you basically flood the canvas with streams or rings or little squiggles of color. And then a lot of them will use like a, a hairdryer and blow the colors out across the canvas. It is insanely cool. And if I had a place that I could pour paint all over the, all over the place... I would definitely have been doing it all week. Um, so go look up uh, fluid art or acrylic pouring. There are a bunch of different kinds, a bunch of different versions of it. And it is it will kind of melt your brain as you're watching these random circles of paint turn into these incredible pieces of art. And I have spent way too much time this week uh, watching video after video after video. Because the end result is really cool, but the process is actually really fascinating to watch. So 
um, that's my one little tidbit. It, there's not a lot to it, but um, go watch some videos and <laughs> trust me, it will, it will blow your mind a little bit. I, I just did a Google image search of this and I'm looking at it. And the first thing it reminded me of is the album cover for Metallica's Load album. Uh, which okay. is not their best album. And um, I don't even want to tell you what is actually was used to make that cover album art because it's it, it's awful. So Google it at your own risk if you want to. Um, you can read about it on Wikipedia, but it reminds me of that. It's But it's, this is much better than that, let me just say. <laughs> it is that same. It, it sort of looks like, it can look like flames. It can look like flower petals. It can look like, it's it's so cool. Um, but I, that's that's all I've got. That's what you need to go watch it's, this week. It's also one of, it's one of those things that I'm like, I don't understand how you figured this right. out. Right. It's just one of those things I'm like, who had the courage to just like whip out a hairdryer? And just like, right. well, hang on a second. Yeah. Who had the, who had the gall to just be like I know what this needs wind Yeah I know how to accomplish this artistic goal let's just use a hair dryer Anyway um I'm glad that you have some concept of what that is because it's very difficult to explain in words and you really should just go watch it. Um, but we've successfully spent the first 20 minutes of a baseball podcast completely ignoring baseball, which is only fair because there's not a lot to discuss at this point. But there was a bit of, I don't even want to call it news because it's not really news. It's just sort of rumblings this week about the possibilities for baseball restarting. And we've kind of heard some options floated around. Somehow, I'm not I'm not typically a big conspiracy person, but the fact that this is the piece of information that magically got leaked out there so that people can tear it to shreds. I, I have I have my theories, but all of a sudden Major League Baseball and the players union have at least discussed on some level a plan that would involve starting the season sometime in May, which seems incredibly enthusiastic, and also playing all of the games, at least for the foreseeable future, in Arizona. Which presents a number of strange things. I want to know what you both think of that, but before we get too far down this road, I want to just mention a couple of the other things that came out in this proposal. So starting in May, playing in Arizona, other things like they wouldn't be allowed to have any mound visits because social distancing. Also, players would sit in the empty stands and not in the dugout so that they can be six feet apart at all times. Additionally, there would be robo-umps calling balls and strikes so that umpires did not have to be close to players. And, um, you know... All of these things are supposed to somehow magically make the bubble of Arizona safe enough to play baseball. Uh, there are so many ways to go with this. So, um, JJ, I'm going to throw it out to you first. What's the what's your first take from this weird baseball bubble proposal? Oh, it's catastrophically stupid. <laughs> it's it's outrageous. Honestly, it's outrageous that you would think that a that you could hold an entire season's worth of games and then yet somehow confine everybody into a weird uh, biodome. But there's there's no, like, the, 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 the 
the problem that I have with it is it's okay. So you can, okay. Players and coaches. So the players are going to sit in the stands and the coaches aren't going to visit the mound, which is hilarious because presumably the coaches are also going to be in the locker rooms, but let's set that aside. What about grounds crews? Uh, what about all the trainers? You need somebody to take care of <clears throat> the waste in the stadiums. I mean, you need people to turn on the lights. You need people to run the scoreboards. Again, you can keep them all separate. But, I mean, the ecosystem of a baseball game is so much bigger than just the the players on the field that the idea that we could just, oh, yeah, we'll just bring them in and then we can make everyone sit six feet apart in the stands – Never mind what they're going to do in the locker rooms, but they're just going to—they're going to sit six feet apart in the stands, and nobody will visit them, and we'll have robot umps, which we, by the way, have not tested or approved. <laughs> I mean, it's—it's it's just nonsense. It's and and I guess beyond the 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 problems that I have with the rollout, which are myriad, the truth is I'm not sure why why. Why would we press this? It's not is that like baseball's not a social utility. I love baseball. I do. And uh, I'll be the first to admit that when MLB puts something on their their Twitter feed like Johan Santana's not perfect game, I watched it. And when they put game 6 of 2011 on Facebook, I watched it because I I miss it. But I don't understand the necessity to try and rush some like convoluted will will keep everybody isolated for four months in Arizona plan like the world doesn't need baseball we want it but we don't need it so what in the world are we doing here that we're talking about we're we're, we're gonna rush this plan out and we have no idea how the support staff is going to exist and maybe players are going to live four months away from their family. Like, oh, this is nonsense. Like, what are we doing? I, I just I just don't understand why. I get that we want baseball. I totally, I totally understand that. And people definitely want to hear like, okay, so when is when is my favorite thing coming back? But there's no need to do this. And yet we're proceeding in this plan as though this is a, a, a need and I don't see it to major league baseball's, I guess, limited credit. They followed that article this morning with their own statement, which they're, they've gotten very good at making very bad statements, but nonetheless, um, basically saying, yeah, this would, these were some ideas we talked about, but it doesn't mean it's what we're going to do. Alex, Obviously, these were ideas clear enough and solid enough that someone felt like they could say, (laughs) hey, here's what's being discussed to a reporter. So uh, do you take all of this with (laughs) this? I I didn't mean to set this up this way, but with a giant grain of sea salt. um, Or do you just uh, assume that these are the conversations that are happening as bizarre as they might seem? Well, I. It's obviously a conversation that happened, and I guess I give baseball a little credit for trying to be prepared for best-case scenario, um, but I agree with JJ, and, and let's go back to those bullet points you laid out that were in the initial article about no mound visits, uh, players and managers sitting six feet apart. I'm, I'm sorry, if, if that's where we are, we can't have baseball. 
We cannot yeah. play baseball if if we're still in a position where the players need to be sitting, need to be six feet apart. And this, the whole time I was reading it, it felt like such a high risk, low reward thing. Mm. Uh, high risk being if, if just one person gets sick, if one person, if like an umpire dies or, or something, um, all because they tried to cram in something that isn't even going to feel like real baseball almost. I mean, all, all the no crowd, seven inning double headers. Uh, I don't know how many people even, I know like JJ said, like, you know, we love baseball. We want, you know, people want baseball. I don't think people want like a drastically different version of baseball. I, and this is just me personally, I don't need baseball until it's 100% ready to come back and look exactly like it did when we left it. I don't need baseball with like with no fans in the stands because to me, if there's no fans in the stands, then it's not ready to come back. If we're not ready to have people sitting next to each other, then it, we're not safe enough to be playing baseball. It is kind yeah. of how I see it. So yes. I, yes. Yeah, so I don't – again, I, I appreciate baseball – if this is what they're doing, trying to be prepared for, you know, again, best case, uh, and maybe that's giving them too much credit, and this is more just like a way to kind of be in the headlines for a couple of days. But I think we just need to get used to just accept the fact that we might have to go without baseball for a year, and it's going to really suck for this year, but five years from now, we'll all just look back and be like, kind of like the way we look back at 94 now, which is... Believe it or not, there was once a year where we didn't have a World Series. And we're going to say, believe it or not, there was once a year where we yes. didn't even play baseball. And guess what? We all got – it wasn't fun at the time, but we all moved on and we all, you know – I I almost said, you know, we all lived, but that's not a, a very great thing to say <laughs> in these times. But you, you know what I mean. This is not yeah. – as JJ said, this is not – something we have to have in our lives in order to function and it's not the most important thing right now so it was just I, I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt but as i was reading that espn article and hit those bullet points which you added on at the end the you know i was just like this is preposterous yeah there are so many layers to it as well that are not addressed in any of that and again i want to be careful to not presume that this was a completed plan that was like, hey, here's what we're going to do. Um, because it very much seems like a, a a range of ideas that were proposed, but not necessarily workshopped thoroughly to come to a great conclusion. I don't know if these were the final versions of these ideas until the blowback started this morning and Major League Baseball was like, I, I mean, it was, it's a, it's a, it's a work in progress. We're, we're just, we're talking through it. Right. We'll figure and, something and out. I think that was the problem. I think that they were very comfortable floating those, those ideas out as a trial balloon. Yeah. And that, that's where I think they made the misstep was just like, th this was not a fully formed plan. Yeah. And you, you floated out to the public and the public was like, hey, I think this is insane. And then now they have to find a way to restructure the foundation of what they're talking about. Yeah. And it's, I, I mean, that's why I sort of said at the beginning, I, I don't 
you know, try to dive down the rabbit hole of who said what and what was their intention behind it? Is there some sort of conspiracy behind this coming out when it did? But obviously someone had to talk, right, for that information to become available to anyone to write that story. So whether it came from Major League Baseball or it came from a player who was like, this is terrible, someone needs to write about it so that the pressure on Major League Baseball will be enough that they walk it back a little bit. Um, I don't know, you know, how that information got to where it did. But it does seem strange to float an idea of any kind that seemed so incomplete, right? Because, great, you can keep baseball players essentially locked in a very small area for a long period of time, but you're also talking about everyone that staffs the hotel where they're staying and everyone that drives the buses that gets them from there to the field and everyone, JJ, like you said, that runs the stadium at least on a a bare essentials level. And then I would assume because the people running the show are businessmen, they're going to want these games to be televised. Well, then that brings in an entire broadcast crew and you have to keep them there for four and a half months. And then you have, so it just, the more you unfold all of these layers, the more complicated it gets. And the more you realize, Alex, like you were saying that this feels a lot like trying to force baseball into our lives when it's really not okay yet. And I think as much as I, on a personal level, agree with you that, look, if this is going to be detrimental to society as a whole to play baseball in 2020, maybe we should just not. It seems like the powers that be, the players and the owners, are going to do everything humanly possible to at least play some version of baseball this year, which probably means what we're going to end up getting isn't going to resemble the baseball that we're all missing anyway. And it might also be very unsafe. So (laughs) there's no part of this that seems like a good option right now. Well, and Alex said it. Alex already said it. He said, if, if, if people have to sit in the stands and sit six feet away from each other and they are the only people in the stadium then this is not really baseball. Yeah. Like, yes, it's it's exhibition games, essentially, but it's not baseball in the way that we know it. And so it, at what point are we forcing this to happen when we don't need it to happen? Like, yeah. you know, uh, Alex mentioned the 1994 season. It was called. Yes, the Expos had a six-game lead in the NL East over the Braves, and, and and nobody could believe it because nobody thought that they could do it. And then the season ended, even though they were World Series favorites. But baseball went on, and it was fine. I, I, I mean, even if we have to have an 81-game season, even if we have a 76-game season, even if we have no season, what happens if you try and force this weird Arizona monstrosity and then two players from the Reds get it. Well, now you got to shut down everything because everybody's contained in Arizona and they're all going to the same facilities. They're all going to the same, you know, ballparks. They're probably all going to the same grocery stores. Well, now you got to shut it down. And I agree with Alex at some point, if you want baseball, create baseball, don't create a facsimile of baseball. Don't create ersatz baseball. Create the thing that you want when it's safe. Otherwise, all you're doing is 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 just I don't know, prolonging the inevitable, if not exacerbating an existing problem. 
Yeah. I, I It's been interesting watching players react to the idea that they would be away from their families for four and a half months. Certainly not a thing that most people are, are particularly fond of. There was an article that came out later in the day that suggested, well, maybe their families could be there with them. I know we talked a little bit before we started recording. Nolan Arenado has said something about you know how he would like to play. I'm just reading a tweet from Harrison Bader that says, this would be funky, but I grew up playing New York City baseball at parade grounds and American Legion. If there's a game, I want in, period. Which... <laughs> seems to be the overriding sort of feeling about this, but it does seem like that that so, misses the mark as far as identifying what's actually important right now. So obviously football, it, I mean, excuse me, obviously baseball is, is not like football or even basketball in terms of it being a contact sport, but they still come in contact with one another. <laughs> with yeah. one another. There are collisions at home plate. There are tags. There are... I mean, everything. You, if you can't sit next to someone, you can't play baseball. And right. I, I, think, I think both of you will agree with me on this. There's no way a baseball team of your average baseball players will comply with that six-foot rule. <laughs> They're not going to no. do it. They're going to be <laughs> hanging out, having fun. And if we're not over this yet, someone's going to get sick. Yeah, there's there's just no way I don't think for that to actually work. But for the sake of you know the podcast, <laughs> let's lean into this a little bit. And um, if there has to be baseball, and by has to be, I'm like again, we all want baseball, but we would like to do it in a way that's a good option all all the way around in some form or fashion. So if they're going to create this this baseball scenario where there is some version of baseball played. Let's lean into the idea a little bit and and just just roll with the the weird kind of bizarre make it up as you go sort of uh, playground rules where you're like no 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 that's that's not what the rules are because I just made up a new one. Um, do either of you have a place you would go with this plan that we're creating on the fly? As long as we're just floating random proposals. I mean, I have I have my very dumb plan that's going to require somebody better at math than me. Okay. Hey, I mean, those are details. We don't have to work out. <laughs> um, so I'm thinking, okay, how do you how do you contain the possible exposure while also accounting for this very strange environment that we exist in? And I say uh, you sequester divisions at a particular field in Arizona, if we're going to do this in Arizona, and you just play your division games one after another. So Cubs, Cards, 19 games, boom, you play it right now. It means that only two teams are in the clubhouses. Only two teams are on the field. Everybody is contained. You play 19 straight games, and then you switch out. So uh, I believe, Tara, I sent it I sent it to you earlier yeah. that the division winner from last year gets to pick whether they want their 19-game buy at the beginning or the end. So they pick it. Let's say that they pick it at the beginning. Cubs cards play. Uh, Reds Brewers play. Winners, based on run differential, if there's a tiebreaker, they play the losers of the last two series. They play through it. And then you just swap out teams 
for the last five or six series. But you keep everything in the division and only one team plays another team on that field for 19 games, which means nobody's coming and going. It's not like a mix and match. It's just Brewers, Pirates, Cubs, Reds, Cardinals, Brewers. It doesn't matter. You guys have to play all of your division games series by series through the first, oh shit, what is it, 82 games? And then once we're done, now we're into June, July. Now we can start talking about outside of the division, but we know, but we know where every team stands because you've already played your in division games. So you've solved the hardest part of the season up front. And then now it's just like a race to who has to play the Yankees, who has Mm -hmm. to play the Dodgers. It's just a lot more fun that way because we've already solved the ugly parts of the NL central. It also makes the beginning of the season that could be very weird remarkably more interesting by and there's and there's all of those storylines there you know the cards don't play like the reds for like the entire month of june no we front loaded it now right they've played the reds already so now when they go into it there is no savior in the division you're gonna have to be Mm. out of division teams to win the division i like it i like it too it's not my most it's not my most elegant idea because I really don't have the math down, but I still think that every division game being played like in April and May would be really fun because now it's just a race against out of division teams to see who can beat the best teams from other places to see who earns the NL Central. There would be so much scoreboard watching in yes. like the second month of the season because that's the only thing that's going to matter is did you win and the rest of the division lose and who has to play the Dodgers in September like right. that would be <laughs> awful okay so does this does this uh play the entire season series all at once continue once you're beyond the division no i mean assuming that we're still trapped in Arizona. <laughs> My hope is because you have to play uh, four 19-game sets, right. that it's, it, by that point we can resume actual play and start cycling through. Um, but if it doesn't, I would say you start going west to east. Okay. Alex, thoughts? Uh, I like it. Um, it's, it's nothing I ever would have thought of. It's very creative. I'm, I almost need to see it written on paper so I can fully digest it, but I like it. Right. I, and I, we and just I, I wish, baseball, so. yes, I wish I could give you something a little bit more clear on paper. I looked at it like four or five times today and like, it really requires some reseeding within the division, but like, really, I'm just looking at it like the entire division plays out its interdivisional games. And then by that point, we're at, close to july and then we can start playing extra divisional games which could be kind of fun how about this if that put us at basically the all-star break what if you then play the all-star game again presuming it's safe to return to that sort of activity at this point um You've seen everybody compared to each other within the divisions. So that's kind of a cool way to get a maybe better idea of all stars before, you know, as long as voting doesn't start like the second week of the season. Um, 
And then the all-star break, the all-star game is sort of the <laughs> the release from Arizona. And then you see what happens from there. I don't know if there are enough days to uh, to get us to that point before. You might have to shift the all-star break <laughs> a little bit at that point. But oh, I'd be into know, that, though. That could be like the 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 celebration <laughs> of being released from well, the think, baseball bubble in Arizona. And, and then think about you, this. You'd, you'd actually have almost like a WWE style like beef because you've had yeah. everybody playing in division. So all those right. weird rivalries and all the weird hatreds would have been bubbling up. By the time you get to the all-star game, you'd have all kinds of, unfortunately, like, who knows, Javi Baez and Colton Wong could be beefing. Like, you'd have yeah. just an incredible, like, weird cauldron of, like, WWE personalities that are, like, kind of fighting with each other because you've been locked in a terrible place <laughs> in Arizona <laughs> together for, like, five months. Oh, it'd be so good. Yeah. I mean, I don't hate this idea. I'm just saying, if we're leaning into the weirdness, this has this has potential. Can I can I tell you my idea? Yes, yes. please. Okay. Now, this my idea imagines a scenario where we were kind of past the pandemic and everything can return to normal, but we're pressed for time. Meaning okay. like it's might be like July or something. Or, or even a little bit later. Um, okay. We're getting rid of... And, and let me just say, everyone's going to hate this idea. Um, and, and I would hate this idea if it actually went into effect like forever. But I could handle it for one year. Um, but we're getting rid of divisions. We're getting rid of Ooh. leagues. And we're, getting rid, and we're getting rid of the postseason. And we're going to try... And have a very smart person come up with the most balanced schedule possible. And for just one year, for like a 50-game season or a 60-game season, we're going to try and emulate basically what, and I'm not, a hu- I'm not a huge soccer guy, but as I understand it, basically what the English Premier League does, which is they don't have a postseason. They crown the team who wins the regular season. And... Mm. Baseball is a regular season sport. The baseball I love is something you you want. It it's, doesn't quite feel this way now with how, I guess, expanded the playoffs are and there's talk of even expanding it more. But the baseball I love is a grind. It's 162 games. And the regular season is, is what counts. So in this, mm-hmm. there's going to be like a point system, um, obviously based on wins and losses. But if you beat a team by, let's say, more than three runs, you're going to get some extra points. And then at the end of the year, whether you play 50 games or 70 games, whoever has the most points wins the world, wins it all, gets the commissioner's trophy. And then so you're we'll talking about the next so you're talking year. about bet, like so record, but also run differential. Yes. Uh, okay. So I'm again, I'm, I'm not in. an expert like on it. I'm not an expert on the English Premier League. In fact, I know basically nothing about it. Uh, <laughs> But as I understand it, that's they have a basically a formula that works like this. They don't have any sort of you know postseason tournament or anything like that. In fact, they almost I believe the purists think the whole idea is silly to all to play all these games and then all of a sudden have it come down to a tournament. So this imagine like say 65, 70 games. Um, 
you would still play a series because you can't, you know, against teams because you can't have like, you know, guys getting on a plane every night to go fly to another city or something like that. But, but you would still, again, bring in the very smart person to come up with the most balanced schedule as possible for every team. It, you know, it's not going to be fair across the board. Someone's going to, for some reason, not have the greatest schedule. And if you're Seattle, you're going to have to travel way more than everyone else. Um, but that's their existence anyway, I guess. Uh, Shouldn't have been then, in Seattle. Yeah, exactly. And then at, at the end of, I, I don't know, October 31st, when the season ends, whoever has the highest point total, and we might know even before then, um, you know, as it works out in soccer so often that before the regular season ends, they already know who has won the championship. Uh, we will then crown that team. And then when next year rolls around, we'll all go back to normal. I like that part. <laughs> I do. I, I gotta be honest. I don't. I don't hate this idea. I mean, I. I don't I, either. I was really into my like uh, interdivisional. Everybody plays themselves in Arizona, and then they go on and play each other. But honestly, I feel like a way more realistic application is Alex's idea, where it's just like, look, we're gonna play like seventy games, and so. Uh, you get a point for a win and you get a point for every run that you won by. And so the biggest point winner is the winner. Yeah. And, and that makes like a baseball game that is, uh, I don't know, uh, four to two still very like, you know, oh, a game that, yeah. you know, very interesting. Like, you know, the team that's up by two runs, if they, you know, if they score a couple more runs here, they're going to really help themselves out in the, you know, in the standings and whatnot. And, well, and just imagine if you're up, think about it. If you're up, if you're up a uh, six, one and you got a guy on first, you're going to, you're going to send that guy because yeah, you want to yeah. move into scoring, uh, scoring position. It would be, yeah, it would be a lot of fun if it was, if it really came down to runs. So many unwritten rules would have to be completely ignored because all the more reason to do it. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm not mad about that. <laughs> let them yes let them let them stew let them stew a hundred percent break those rules yeah. i like it i like it um i i also like the uh the potential of the uh, magnified division rivalries so that could be fun in uh in our first plan uh, honestly i kept thinking about just bizarre tiebreakers um particularly in a scenario where you're playing like 19 games in a row uh you know, if there's a tie in the division, um, you know, you can break that down a number of different ways, whether you do run differential or like number of consecutive wins could be kind of interesting. That'd be good. Um, you know, if you, if you win six in a row against the Cubs and end up with a, a tied record between the two of you at the top of the division, you know, and they only won four consecutive games or whatever, just, you know, leaning into the weird at this point. Well, and I think that Alex Alex hit it on the points where it's just like, yeah, I would love a combination of everybody has to play each other in the division early on, but we're keeping track of run differential the entire time. Yeah. And so even if even if the Reds have swept the Brewers for four games, but the but the Brewers have just annihilated the Pirates on runs. The Brewers can finish ahead of the Reds, and it's just mm. it just creates this like monstrous hatred between them. Yeah, and it's beautiful because now, I like it. yes, because now they have to go into the second half of the season, 
and Alex's system has now kicked into play. It's beautiful. So my, you know, just to stay on brand with the the minor league uh, wing of this, my only other suggestion would be that you create some sort of like organizational uh, t- trophy, if you will, to where the the minor league players who are gonna have to be playing at some point. That's a thing that's not in this plan at all. Is what do you do with all the minor league players? Um, and if they end up playing. <laughs> they end up playing you know in florida or wherever else they land in a bubble which also can happen because then you have to have players to replace guys that get hurt and they all have to be the anyway again this the the actual plan doesn't make a lot of sense um but if there was some way to to value the yeah there was some way to value the the uh minor league team's success as well because if you remember a couple of years ago the memphis redbirds were probably better than the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> and just, I mean, they won like 15 in a row and just destroyed you want uh, relegation the entire... is what you want. Relegation. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sure. And honestly, there's a few times that I think that relegation could have served the Cardinals well. <laughs> could've just, yeah. Could have just, ugh, if he just took the entire Memphis Redbirds and moved them up, could have been right. okay. Could have been okay. You would have also had to move the manager with them, but that's a totally, yes, different, totally yes. different story. Very true. Very true. <laughs> um, all right. So we could go on and on coming up with strange ideas, which apparently is all Major League Baseball and the Players Union are doing. So if you want to join us in uh, in coming up with bizarre ideas to um, save or uh, ruin baseball, one of the two, please feel free. Let us know on Twitter. Share this show with people who you think might have an opinion um before we wrap things up tonight we added a voicemail box in the last week and uh tweeted out that you can send us a voicemail and hear it on the show we will answer it for you and we got our first voicemail guys so we're going to uh we're going to answer that question now hey alex and tara it's carter aka cardinals chat 18 on twitter um, if you were any retail store, what retail store would you be and why? Love you guys. Thanks. So, uh, Carter, thanks for um, <laughs> jumping in on the random element of this show in, in quarantine or otherwise. Guys, retail store. What retail store would you be and why? Alex? Uh, this is easy for me. I am 41 years old. Uh, that makes me Best Buy because I was probably in my prime 15 or 20 years ago, and I will soon be obsolete. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't even want to follow that up because that was phenomenal. Uh, yeah. uh, Jay, what do you you got? go first. I'm a guest. Okay, okay. Uh, you want to wrap it up? Okay, I'll, I'll uh, let that happen. Um, okay, so I uh, this was very strange to sort of think through the process uh but oddly enough i'm gonna go with like a home depot because you can find surprisingly everything there and also um i like to stay busy in (laughs) moments like this so i just keep thinking of all the projects i want to do and home depot is the place to be well impressive i'm (laughs) i'm gonna go with costco i'm gonna go with costco for two specific reasons. One, Costco's got everything you need. You you know, you can come, you can get uh, grapes by the bag. You can get jeans. 
You can get uh, uh, seed spreaders. You can get whatever you want. Costco has everything you need. But what's important, if I was a Target, I'd have to dress nice. If I was a Walmart, I'd have to dress respectable. Costco, nobody cares. They just want they just want shelves of goods. They don't care. Yeah. They want pallets of items. And I, as a person who likes to wear shorts and t-shirts, uh, really really respect the Costco model because I don't have to put on airs. I just gotta have what you need. That's it. I just gotta have the items that you guys are looking for. And uh, gotta be honest, you're paying three hundred dollars a year to come to my shop. So <laughs> true, feels pretty good. I I'm Sorry. charging you yeah. to come to my like weird flea market, and that's that's <laughs> pretty exciting for a person who doesn't like to dress fancy. So I'm gonna take Costco. I gotta admit, I wasn't sure where that question was gonna go, but <laughs> that might be the best part of this entire podcast. Gotta say, man, I'm uh, just I, I'm out here. I'm wearing my tank tops. I'm wearing my uh, my jean shorts. Nobody's bothering me. They're paying me three hundred dollars just to come into my shop. It feels feels pretty good. Go. Yeah, I, I feel like we nailed that, Carter. I don't <laughs> know what you were expecting. But thank you for the question. We love you as well. Please feel free to uh, to follow up with a voicemail. There will be a link uh, with the podcast. It's super easy. You can leave us a voicemail. We will play it on the show and hopefully answer your very entertaining question. So thanks for that. The last thing before we shut it down, Alex has a chirp of the week. I do. And since we have gone pretty long, I will try and keep this short, but... One thing I've noticed, another thing I've noticed about myself during this whole quarantine is I have a lot of tabs open on my computer. Of <laughs> All the time. Of things I've yet to read, uh, and hopefully I will read at some point, but they're just sitting there. And one of them is by Grant Brisby of The Athletic, uh, formerly of SB Nation, and it's titled, Which Players Can Giants Fans and Dodgers Fans Agree to Love? And... I haven't read this article yet, but I'm guessing because Grant is a Giants fan that he's bringing up Dodgers that he also can somehow cheer for or could somehow cheer for uh, and vice versa that a uh, Giants that a Dodgers fan could cheer for. I thought I would do the same thing with the Cubs. Um, And uh, a couple of rules here. I, it can't be a guy who I like because he played for the Cardinals and then also for the Cubs. Like so, so no Jim Edmonds or or even like no Corey Patterson, even though he's much more known as a Cub. It can't be a guy for the Cubs who I like because he performed poorly for the Cubs and therefore <laughs> and therefore helped the Cardinals. Like so, no Carlos Marmol, you know, or or anyone like that. It has to be someone. Has to be a legit Cub who was good for the Cubs, who Cubs fans would like that I think that I liked. And I think a lot of Cardinals fans also liked as well. And I wanted to come up with three um, who played it during my lifetime. And I'll, I'll be curious to hear what you two think of, of these three. Is uh, the Jim first one, Evans allowed? 
Jim Edmonds is not allowed. Okay, <laughs> I figured. Yeah. I figured probably not. <laughs> no one, no one who played for the. I just went ahead and eliminated anyone who played for the Cardinals just to remove any sort of bias mm. from it at all. Okay, um, fair enough. So it, it has to be someone that I think Cubs fans also love as well. And oh, that, okay. That so we, just it's just a pure Cubs player. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, they could play for other teams. But not. But, but they weren't. But they're no, okay. They're mostly known as Cubs. They're sure. known yeah. as Cubs. You can't. You can't pick them as somebody you love because they also played for the Cardinals. Oh, right. Fair yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So okay. Miguel Cairo is out. Correct. Correct. I, I, I got three guys here who all played during my lifetime. Um, number one is Andre Dawson, and Andre Dawson played for the Cubs for uh, you know a couple of years, uh, late eighties to maybe to the early 90s. He wasn't there that long. He wasn't there as long as his reputation as a Cub would lead you to believe. Um, And in 1987, he won the MVP, even though there were two Cardinals, Ozzie Smith and Jack Clark, who probably should have won it ahead of him. Not probably. They absolutely should have won it ahead of him. But it was kind of cool that Andre Dawson actually won the award in 87 because he he couldn't find it. And he was on the, and they were the worst team in the NL, were they not? They finished in dead last in the old (laughs) NL East. That's correct. Um, But Dawson won the award partly, well, not partly, because he hit 49 home runs and 137 RBIs. And though those numbers meant a whole hell of a lot, uh, you know, back then, Um, it still means a lot now, but not not quite as what it what it used to mean when those were kind of the only stats we looked at. But it's still kind of cool he won the award because he was a free agent after 1986 and had no suitors at all because of legit collusion by the owners. And not the type of collusion where a lot of bloggers get online and accuse collusion or suspect collusion, but actual collusion. Like they were found guilty or they were found to have colluded and they got punished for it. So actual in the wild collusion. And as a result, Andre Dawson basically allowed the Cubs to fill in whatever they wanted to, to pay him, or that's the story goes. I believe he had a salary that year of $700,000. And so that's pretty good value for a guy who went on to hit 49 home runs and drive in 137. So that's number one. Number two kind of reminds me of Matthew Robinson. uh, And I'll tell you why. It's Sammy Sosa. And the the reason why Uh, he reminds me no, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you why he kind of reminds me of <laughs> of the Robinson example because you, you mentioned how Robinson for a split second had actually broken the world record, but he still didn't get credit for it. True. Well, in 1998, Sammy Sosa for like an afternoon had the all-time you know home run record for a single season until Mark McGuire then passed him again later that 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 evening if i recall yeah. I, I think sosa had like 64 or 65 or something like that then mcguire hit like two or i don't know i don't i don't know quite what happened but even though sosa kind of had like a bad ending to his cubs years i never minded him as a cub and i actually sort of liked him and i think back to 1998 and i don't think we appreciate how perfect it was when McGuire hit number 62, like, like how unlikely it was that the other guy who was also going to break Roger Maris's record was also in attendance playing against him. And that, you know, they, 
stopped the game. Sosa came out of the field and like hugged McGuire and they did their little celebrations. I think that's the most amicable the Cardinals have and Cubs have ever been. And that's funny because the Cubs were actually good that year. You know, usually we don't tolerate them at all when they're when they're good and we we uh, we don't mind them when they're poor, but the Cubs are actually kind of good that year. So Sammy Sosa is my number two. Can I can I can I briefly tell a, a Sammy Sosa story? Please. Uh, 2015, I was at opening day, and I was at Wrigley Field, and they did not have enough spaces for all the media members, and they gave some of us like, oh, you can go in back here, which is like basically like a weird cafeteria in the back that you can't see anything, and so I gave the scoreboard guy 20 bucks and I was like can I sit up next to you and he was like yeah and he started telling us the story and he was like um yeah I've been working here for 27 years and the nicest guy that I've ever ever worked with was Sammy Sosa he's like he was super nice he's like when I met when when my family came um he was he would meet them and talk to them and he was so sweet and I was like, oh, shit, this is a good story. So we started writing it, and one of the Cubs PR people actually came up and said, you can do the story on the scoreboard guy, but, like, you got to take the stuff about Sammy Sosa out. Whoa. Yeah. And, and, yes, and and me and the the guy I I was working with, we were both like, well, hang on. I mean, like, that's that's the story. Like, he's... You know, he's probably the, you know, apart from a, you know, Ernie Banks and a in Sandberg, I'm sure, but like, he's the he's the guy, like he's the modern mm-hmm. cup. And they were like, yeah, no, 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 like you, you can't have anything about Sammy Sosa in there. You can do the story, but you can't have Sammy Sosa in there. And so, I was like, all right, well, look, we got three games left here, so I, I'll cut it, but we're definitely going to quote this guy. And so the scoreboard operator gave like the, the sweetest possible interview about Sammy Sosa. And we had to just like not mention Sammy Sosa because at the time I wasn't sure that I'd get back into the stadium. (laughs) So like, I'm, so I'm with you when you talk about, you're talking about Sammy Sosa. I'm like, Hey, he seems like a really good dude. (laughs) Like, and the Cubs were really (laughs) mad about, I guess because he like made them look bad from the steroids perspective, but like who gives it? Who cares? It's the weirdest div- ongoing divorce, yeah, uh, or separation, whatever you want to call yeah. it. Um, it. Maybe in baseball, maybe it doesn't get enough ink of how like it's like he has not been back there. And it's very and, weird. And, and they tried to erase him from that story, and like he showed up in the story, but I like I didn't quote the guy because I didn't want him to lose his job. I didn't quote the mm-hmm. guy on Sammy Sosa, but I definitely said like people who worked at the stadium said Sammy Sosa was like the kindest person that they worked with, and they were not very happy with it. Amazing. Hmm. Well, they, well, that makes me feel better about having Sammy on there. That's so one like I'm great. Glad, that's one like great choice. Man. Great choice. <laughs> All right, my and the last one. So number three is Kerry Wood. Uh, I always liked Kerry wow. Wood. He he kind of was yes. an ornery guy. Um, I, I I feel like if he was a cardinal, we would have called him like a bulldog or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
he pitched what was maybe the greatest game of all time in 1998 against the Astros when he struck out 20 and only gave up one hit. Um, and, yes. you know, he, he had injury, injury problems uh, throughout his career. And I think it kind of overshadowed how good a career he ended up having. I mean, he retired with almost uh, 30 wins uh, above replacement, um, nearly 1,600 strikeouts. So he still had a very, very good career. And what I think about Kerry, when I think about Kerry Wood, what I think of is his very last game in 2012. He, he had a cup of coffee with the Cubs, a second sit with the Cubs at the end of his career. And in May 18th, 2012, he came in to pitch his last game in relief and he struck out a guy and for the second out. And then they removed him and everyone knew. I, I don't know why everyone knew it was going to be his last game there. I should look into what the story was, if he was hurt or... I mean, if he was hurt, he probably wouldn't be pitching or why he was retiring at that moment. But everyone knew it was his last game. He was done. And he was walking off the field at Wrigley to a standing ovation. And his uh, small son, Justin, runs out on the field and gives him a big hug. And it's like the sweetest thing you'll ever see. Uh, You can find it on YouTube. Um, It's a great, great video. And yeah, I just always like Kerry Wood. So those are my three Cubs that I think Cardinals fans can also like. Andre Dawson. Sammy Sosa, and Kerry Wood. Thoughts? I 100% agree. I grew up, so I grew up in Chicagoland, and my dad was a Cardinals fan. Um, So, like, I was never allowed to like the Cubs, but there were definitely Cubs that I liked. And I will say that, like, man, as a kid, Sammy Sosa was was cool. He just just had it. Um... Kerry Wood was also, I agree 100%, Alex. It was just, like, he didn't seem like he was on another team. He just seemed like a baseball player who, in this moment, was was doing his best. Like, it, it never felt like Kerry Wood was a cub. It just felt like I was really invested in Kerry Wood as the person. And Andre Dawson, I, I grew up knowing that he was he had the best possible season on the worst possible team. And I've always just been like, man, that's a bummer. <laughs> like, I'm really here for you. Like, I really want you to succeed because, boy, that's a, that's a tough draw. I will say there's one, there's one Cubs player who I think will earn me the vitriol of anyone listening to this podcast, but... I liked Carlos Zambrano. Oh, he was such, he was such a monster and I loved him for it. The dude got in a fight with an umpire, picked up a baseball and threw it to the wall. Like he was, he did. Honestly, I think the reason I love Carlos Sembrano is he did not care what team he was on. He was just there for today's <laughs> game. Like he did not care. And I and and I love his insane passion. <laughs> I know it's. I know. I know that I'm losing my cards with everybody. <laughs> I know. I've appreciated. I've appreciated him more. A lot more as as time has gone on, but boy, did I hate him when he played. Um, Alex, can I? I, 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 I would have loved him. I would have loved him as a cardinal. Can, yeah. Can I put a question to you? Absolutely. If I took Carlos Zambrano and I didn't tell you who he was, and then I just draped 
the Lance Lynn like sheet over him, <laughs> would we not kind of like him? Because I feel like Lance Lynn and Carlos Zambrano are pretty much the same guy. Oh. They're a lot alike, but when you say drape the Lance Lynn sheet over him, do you mean in a Cardinals uniform? Because let me be clear, if Zambrano was in a Cardinals uniform, I absolutely would have loved him. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. I'm just saying that Lance Lynn and Carlos Zambrano roughly have the exact same personality and and pretty close to the same pitching performance. Fastball heavy, strikeout heavy, and like they – they kind of work, and that's why I'm like, I'm kind of okay saying that Carlos Zambrano is the guy that I like from the other team. Fair. That's awesome. So I didn't, having not grown up in the Midwest, uh, not having lived through a lot of those Cubs years uh, with some of those superstars, I was actually just talking last night uh, to somebody who's a Cubs fan about what current Cubs players I would be like, yeah, I, I'd like that guy to be on my team. And I, it bugs people a lot I know you're gonna when say, I say it. I know you're going to say, say it. I, know you're say it. <laughs> I, I really enjoy watching Javi. I knew it. Play, play oh, and I knew it. people hate it when I say that. However, I was asked if I would trade Colton Wong for Javi Baez straight up. And as the resident, tough, tough Colton moment Wong here. is better than anyone gives him credit for person oh, no. you're not gonna say I, it you're not gonna say it no no i don't think i could <laughs> but also the logical part of my brain is like you might actually be an idiot but <laughs> i don't think i would do it he's a better field yeah. logic l- yeah. logic should have no place in certain areas of fandom and if you yeah. have a favorite player i don't care who it is you should not want to trade him that's that's sort of where I landed. I told him I wouldn't do it, and he was like, "What?" I was like, "Not nah, listen. You don't understand. Hey, this has been also, the hill I've been dying on for years." Also, Colton Wong is a better fielder than Javi Baez. Been saying it for two years now. Yeah, hundred percent. You're yeah. right. You're right not to trade him. But Javi Baez is a lot of fun to watch. Sure, he is he, a lot. Of fun. He is a lot of fun to watch. As is, you know, Mr. Rogers or whoever, you know, like Bozo the Clown, whatever. They're all fun to watch. No, <laughs> no, I'm being, I'm being, I'm being uh, rude. Yeah. Uh, uh, honestly, though, Javi Baez is, if I had to pick a modern player, Javi Baez is 100% the player on the other team that I love to watch. Like, he's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I, I think he's a good, uh, he's a good. He- you know, he, it's not like he's, I was about to say he's a good heel, but like, you know, it's not like he's a, a jerk or has ever done anything like, but you know, he's, he's fun to root against because yeah, he, exactly. so, so, the guys who are very fun to root for, if they're on your rival are very fun to root against. Right. And, and yeah. Alex, you nailed it. Like he is, he's super fun to root against just because he's so good. Like if there was a player yeah. that you didn't like, that wasn't, super talented it wouldn't be very fun but like you have a super talented you basically have a super villain if you're if, right yeah. yeah and it's it's fun because if if you get the best of that guy you feel like you really accomplished something right so if my team wins a game because they struck out Javi Baez then it's even more it's way more of a, a feeling of victory than if they struck out I don't know 
Molten Contreras or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like in in another thing is like if you steal a base because after the World Baseball Classic where his tag became yeah. a thing, like if you mm-hmm. steal a base and Javi Baez can't tag you out, now you're just like even you're like kind of even more elated if you're a Cardinal fan. Right. Javi Baez makes baseball more fun. And that's the kind of player that I like to watch. So if he was on my team, I would think he makes the game more fun because he's super talented. But if he's on the rival team, he makes baseball fun because he's the super villain. Um, So yeah, people, people don't like it when I say that, but it's our our podcast. We can say what we want. If you enjoy watching Colton Wong play baseball, you enjoy watching Javi Baez play baseball. (laughs) Like it's the same kind of baseball. It's so much fun. Yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed on all accounts. And we had to, to talk about Colton Wong at some point, um, just did. for, you know, <laughs> old time's sake. <laughs> uh, we did not give you a chance to uh, to share your deep thoughts on average with runners in scoring position. So we'll have to do that another time. <laughs> hey, look, um, because I feel like that's not a not a not a quick, uh, quick topic it's, to discuss. It's garbage. It's garbage. I was actually thinking we could, you know, if we didn't have a whole lot to say on the Arizona thing, which turns out we did, um, we could talk about our least favorite stats, um, minus pitchers wins. So we can, we can go, uh, uh, knowing that this was a possibility, I can do runners in scoring position in under a minute. I've practiced. Well, well, in that case, okay, let's do it. (laughs) Really? Okay. All right. Um, Okay. You are a 250 hitter. Okay. Okay. So one out of every four at bats, you get a hit. All right. So in the first half of the season, there happens to be a runner in scoring position every single time you get a hit. So you get a hit one out of four times, you're 250 hitter. But when there's a runner in scoring position, you bat a thousand. Okay. Seems great. Sure. That's good. Yeah. All right. Second half. There's a runner in scoring position every single time. Okay. Which is more likely? You're going to hit 250 because you are a 250 hitter, or you're going to hit 1,000 because every time in the first half, you got to hit when someone was in scoring position. That's the microcosm of my argument mm-hmm. is that. Yeah. If you got one hit every time in the first half when someone was in scoring position, you'd be batting a thousand. Now, if somebody was in scoring right. position every single time, you'd bat a thousand. But the truth is you're a one you're a two fifty hitter, and in the second half, you're gonna be a two fifty hitter. It doesn't matter who's in scoring position. Makes sense. I, I find it to be sound logic. And and to me it's really just a measure of outcome. It's not yeah, it, like, it's not a predictive right. stat for the skill of the hitter. It's just like this is how things shook out, right? Because poor Alan Craig. I mean, as we saw, like that didn't that yeah. didn't it didn't that, translate. It didn't, didn't yeah, and it over. wasn't a predictive stat. He just yeah did very well for a season, but that doesn't necessarily mean right. that he's going to continue that on and it got to the point where John Mosellac just traded him because Mike Malini or Mike Matheny wouldn't stop starting him. <laughs> uh yeah, there there are many of those moments um that we could 
revisit over the course of however long it is until this weird version of baseball <laughs> comes back. Um, but until then, we're going to, you know, wrap this one up this evening. JJ, thanks so much for hanging out and um, talking about very random stuff with us as well as a little bit of baseball. And uh, where can where can people find you, you know, when you're not living Groundhog Day over and over again? <laughs> uh, I mean, you can follow me at the JJ Bailey on Twitter, but don't. It's not worth your time. It's not worth your time. <laughs> Solid sell there. <laughs> it's not worth your time. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Alex, thanks so much. Once again, we will uh, try to have something as entertaining for you next week. Who knows what it'll be at that point. You can follow Alex on Twitter at AlexCard79. I'm at Tara Wellman. Follow Birds on the Black for all the good stuff going on over there. And make sure you leave us a voicemail so we can answer your fun, crazy, cool questions next week. Until then, I'm Tara. He's Alex and JJ. We'll talk to you then. Bye.